Chapter 19 of the Queen of Appalachia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kualada. The Queen of Appalachia by Joe H. Borders. Chapter 19. From Virginia to and through Hell's Gate. Two hours after the conversation just narrated, Paul struck a wafer, and his companion quickly recognized the chamber into which they had just entered from the long-distance passage as being the identical room where she had spent hours of agony and horror a few weeks ago. It presented a damp, gloomy appearance, and having no particular attraction for them, our friends pushed on. At numerous places, the water was quite deep, warning of an approaching fissure, so they made their way slowly. At times, it was difficult to proceed in the darkness, and the wet pine torch refused to ignite. Progress was impeded, but the indomitable will and energy of our friends carried them along, over obstacles that at times seemed insurmountable. They expected difficulties, and while they were not prepared to do the impossible, they were really surprised at their progress and tramped on with light hearts, pleasantly exchanging views and expressions on various objects and thoughts that encompassed their surroundings and minds. Passing through a series of smaller caverns, they came to a high ledge of rocks over which the sparkling water rippled with enchanting beauty. The melody of the gurgling, tinkling water as it bounded over the moss-covered rocks was like a faint echo of a grand anthem from an invisible choir. They were both enchanted and paused with bated breath, uttering inaudible murmurs of admiration. But time was precious, and even the gentle lullaby of the poetic streamlet was powerless to attract our friends for any great length of time. All Father Time has so worn the rocks that the ascent was practically the climbing of a rickety stairway, and it was but the work of a few moments when Paul and the Queen were invading the darkness beyond the waterfall, where new scenes awaited them. They were now entering the larger caverns that held innumerable attractions that at other times they would no doubt have admired for their splendor and magnificence. But they stopped not. The attractive features of the great underground cavern for them was further on. Pushing on, following the zigzag route of the winding stream, they finally emerged from a gloomy expanse to a vast amphitheater that reminded Paul of the Queen's description of the wonderful magnificence of the Mammoth Cave. Here, too, the apartment was lighted, and investigation proved that they were nearing Hell's Gate. This discovery gave them fresh hope and renewed energy. Their speed increased unconsciously, and it was but a short time before they passed Hell's Gate. Long before reaching the mainland, Paul detected an unnatural atmosphere that at first was suffocating and which increased in oppressiveness as they advanced. Glancing at the queen from time to time to see how it affected her, he was surprised for her cheeks were rosy, 
her eyes bright and her face radiant with happiness. Paul said nothing; words were out of place. Looking at the happy woman by his side, he could not disturb her joyful thoughts by empty words. Once she looked into his face with a gratified smile, which instantly changed to sadness. You look ill, Mister Thornton. We have been too hasty. Let us pause for a moment's rest," she said, stopping. Paul was glad of an opportunity to sit down and dropped at her feet as weak as a kitten. "I am weak," he replied simply. "Your head is hot. You are suffering, and there is nothing within reach to aid you. Oh, for strength to complete our journey!" she moaned in her anguish. My charming sweetheart," said Paul, quickly jumping to his feet and shaking off the oppression. "I had almost forgotten that there is nothing to tire, to oppress. I thank you for reminding me of nothingness of such things. I am no longer weak. I was dreaming. Let's away." And she clapped her hands at the change in his appearance. The atmosphere continued heavy, but it gave him no further trouble. And at last they reached the Appalachian sunlight, when the queen dropped on her hands and knees and reverently kissed the ground. Thank God, she murmured. Paul stood by in the silence, his head uncovered, watching the movements of his companion, whose cup was full and running over with happiness. Presently, she raised her head and, gaining her feet, rushed over to Paul. Tears of joy trickled down her angelic face, and placing her arms around his neck, her head resting on his manly breast, she wept like a child. How can I ever repay you? She sobbed. Promise me not to leave me. Unfolding her arms and dropping at his feet, here on my bended knees, I ask you to promise. Sweetheart said, "Paul calmly raising her up and looking into her eyes, still wet with tears. You forget that I have friends in the outer world. Yes, yes, forgive me, I was selfish, but you will surely promise to stay for a little while, and, and Mister Thornton, you will accept. Say no more, sweetheart. I am not going to run away from you, nor will I leave a palace here for a time." I do not forget our experience today, nor will the memory of other pleasant days spent together fade away. I realize that constant association and intimacy have made us lifelong friends, and I repeat that my only regret lies in the parting. I pray the time will never come, and you know, my dearest of friends, I could not wish you harm. I honor you and respect your every thought. Although we overcame gigantic obstacles in our progress thus far, and that we are at the threshold of the goal, there is yet one more bridge to cross, one more chasm to leap, one more impediment to conquer. The walls, the walls! I had forgotten them, and we have a Herculean task before us. Have you any idea of the distance to the city? The journey is as nothing once we are out of the canyons, but to climb those cliffs, what are we to do? She cried, wringing her hands. 
Where there is a will, there is always a way, said Paul, trying to speak cheerfully, knowing the occasion required it. While Paul's word and his careless manner encouraged her, the queen realized that she was better informed than he concerning the present situation, and she listened to his sanguine exclamations and noted his calmness with a degree of doubt and misgiving. She knew that several attempts to reach the river had been abandoned as impossible undertakings, and yet his apparent cheerfulness was reassuring. Come, sweetheart, let us make our way. Surely there is some way of escape from this veritable prison. While there is light, there is hope, quoth she, as if to remind him of his former homily. But to look at those cliffs, with the knowledge that they grow in height as you advance, the prospects are not as bright as they may be, and it takes courage to even retain hope. Paul bade her be of good cheer while he made a tour of investigation. She watched his movements with interest, and as he was making a careful examination, she supposed he held the delusive idea that he might be able to scale the walls. If he entertained such a thing, he quickly abandoned it, for he came back presently, with worry written on his face. Regular Chinese walls, he exclaimed. From their appearance, one would imagine they were built by expert workmen, and time has made but a faint impression upon them. I must confess, sweetheart, that the outlook is anything but encouraging. I hardly know what to suggest. Possibly we might find the limb of an overhanging tree. Not one, she interrupted. There is not a tree within a hundred feet of the edge of the cliff, owing to the width of the rocky surface. Is it possible to attract attention from your people? They could lower a rope. No, 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 Mister Thornton, you are in ignorance of the real facts. To guard against danger of falling over the cliffs, a high iron fence runs parallel with the cliff the entire distance, and is built some thirty or forty yards from the edge. Every avenue of escape is closed against us. She moaned. Even the gates are barred and securely fastened. No, we are doomed to die in sight of home and friends. She sobbed as though her heart was breaking. Do not give up so easily, sweetheart. Taking her soft hands in his, there is one consolation left us. If worst came to worst, we can at least go back. Don't say that, she cried. Forgive me, Mister Thornton. Besides. I do not feel equal to another tramp through that long, dismal hole. This imprisonment drives me mad. Oh, if Mister Brownlee was only here, he would find a way out of our helpless condition. Paul's face flushed hotly, not from anger, nor were his crimson blushes tokens of jealousy, but her words cut him. The queen was gazing with tear-stained eye towards the ground. And she saw nothing of the changes on the face of her companion. The silence that at other times would have been painful was as a balm in Gilead, and when it was broken, the queen looked into a face entirely devoid of worry and care, and in place of grief, she saw nothing but expressions of peace and hopefulness 
that sent her thoughts flying towards the spot where she first turned her eyes upon that beaming face when she cried out, "Is this heaven?" Now, as then, a beautiful smile lit up his countenance, and she could read therein words of such comfort that the sorrows and miseries of the past were forgotten. With her hands still in his, he jumped to his feet. She felt the vibrations, the current of which stirred her into activity, and without waiting for the command, imitated his movements and allowed him to lead her toward the date wall in silence. Arriving at the foot of the almost perpendicular wall, Paul touched a stone just above his head. It moved forward about eighteen inches. As though pushed out from behind, in the twinkling of an eye, he was standing on the projecting rock, and grasping the queen's hand, quickly lifted her to his side. Reaching out towards the right, he touched another stone, which responded to his silent command with the same ease, and they stood on the second round of the ladder. Another and another, and the performance was repeated, over and over again. With the same result, until they reached the top in triumph. The queen's astonishment over the marvelous demonstrations was stilled into silence by the calm, inspired face and manner of her companion. But when she reached the summit, she turned her head and glanced back over the route traversed, when she discovered a complete stairway, peering down towards the rapids from the dizzy height. Brought back to her mind the memory of another vision and the fatalities resulting therefrom, and she would have made a second plunge had it not been for the presence of her faithful companion, who noticed the fainting weakness in her perilous position, in time to save her from an instant death. Paul picked her up as he would a child, and carried her towards the fence, and finding a gate. Pushed it open and placed her on the grass, just inside of the enclosure. If he had returned an hour later, he would have been surprised to see another human form slowly making her way up that marvelous stairway. End of chapter nineteen of the Queen of Appalachia, from Virginia through Hell's Gate, recording by Kualada.